0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to... This is the crowd that was up too late last night blowing things up and decided, you know what, we're coming to the eleven. Hey, welcome online. I, you're you're in the same boat, uh, though my judgment extends further to you through this camera. Um, but really good to be together today. Uh, if you do have a Bible with you, please grab it and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 is where we're going to be. You can open a phone or a tablet and search for 1 Corinthians 9 there. We will be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, but uh, any, any uh, English version will get you close to where we are. Uh, and... Uh, We'll be in 1 Corinthians 9 all morning today. Uh, As you're turning there, I just wanted to welcome you to what in every church in the universe is known as Youth Pastor Sunday. Uh, That's what today is. It's July 5th, which is uh, one of the lowest attended Sundays of the year uh, for every church in the United States. Uh, And we call it Youth Pastor Sunday because this is normally the week where we give the youth pastor a rep from the pulpit, but we're not doing that. Uh, but as I as I thought about this a little bit, for most people, when they first see me in the hallway, at first glance, they mistake me for the youth pastor. So maybe you're just going to get that anyway. Uh, I am not the youth pastor. I am the lead pastor. But uh, I was a youth pastor for many years. And I always say that you can take the man out of youth ministry, but you cannot take youth ministry out of the man, right? And so that might explain some of me to you, just so uh, we're all on the same page. But I'm glad you're here. Really thankful to see some of you physically. Those of you who are online, glad you're with us. Uh, happy fourth or fifth uh, Independence Day. Uh, just wanted to say this. I love our country. Like, I know this is a hard time to be in our country, but I, I really do. I love, I love our country. I love this, this nation. I love grilling meat right? I like that. That's part of being a part of this country. Apparently I like hanging out with my neighbors. I love blowing things up just so you know how much I love our country. Like that's good American. We did a lot. I don't, they make things illegal in our state and then we just blow them up apparently. So, uh, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, I, I love the freedoms that we have though in this country. I really do. I love them. I love the freedom of speech, I love the freedom to practice openly our faith, our, our, our religion, right? Freedom of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Like, I love these things. Let freedom ring. That's what we are all about in this nation. And it's, it's not coincidental that that's actually what Paul's going to address in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is going to talk about freedoms, kind of picking up where we left off last week in 1 Corinthians 8, and he's going to talk about what we should do with rights and freedoms as Christians. And no, I did not plan for this to coincide with 4th of July. That just happened. So this is a beautiful thing that we are in this text today. So first, before we dig into our word, let me kind of set this up, frame this out with some context, okay? Um, Here's what's happening. The, the church in Corinth, the, Christ, the Christians in Corinth are very likely upset at the Apostle Paul because he is not charging them financially for the ministry that he's doing. They that Now, that sounds weird, okay? That sounds weird. And some will debate this a little bit in the commentaries that I was reading, but I think it makes sense. Paul is actually refusing to accept a paycheck from the Corinthians, and the Corinthians are actually upset by that. They want Paul to be paid. Now, let me explain why I think this is the case, okay? Uh, Remember back to chapter one of 1 Corinthians, okay? Back in chapter one, we talked about a group of people called the Sophists. The Sophists were these uh, Roman Empire kind of philosophers who would go from city to city. They would travel all across the Roman empire and they would get up and do kind of like the ancient equivalent of Ted talks. They'd get up and they would, they would talk about Plato or they would talk about Aristotle or Socrates. And they would, they would kind of wax eloquence in a philosophical forum. And people would come from those cities to listen to the sophists. And the sophists were like, they were like uh, celebrities, I mean, there like, they, they were factions created in cities about which sophist you liked the best. Like, I love Plutarch. Plutarch's my guy. Like, I, like that's, that's who I'm all about. No, 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 I don't like Plutarch at all. I like Apollos. I'm all, I'm all about Apollos. And, and often there were these factions in cities all around kind of the celebrity culture of the sophists. Well, I think what has happened is that's kind of bled into the church a little bit. We actually find out that it had bled into the church back in 1 Corinthians 1, but but, um, it's kind of like how some prosperity theology has worked its way into churches today like I think there are some prosperity churches who believe that the more successful and kind of bougie the pastor's life is like that that the better he must be right that he must be more blessed and better if he's if he's wealthy and he's healthy and he's attractive and all of this stuff I think that's kind of what has happened here in Corinth uh, I don't know if you're on Instagram I am on Instagram but Instagram there's this one account called preachers and sneakers anybody familiar with this preachers and sneakers uh it's a funny, uh, Instagram account where legitimately they, 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 zoom in on videos of mega church pastors and zoom specifically into their shoes, their sneakers. And then they try and identify what those sneakers are and how much they cost. Um, which is uh, apparently like tens of thousands of people want to know, uh, what the footwear of our preachers are. Um, but, uh, and some of it's lavish. I was just looking at it this week. Um, One preacher was in a pair of Air Yeezy 2s. I don't even know what those are, all right? Maybe something to do with Kanye, not sure, okay? Uh, But Air Yeezy 2s, they go for $3,700 a pair. Like, I don't know what that dude is doing, but I need me a slice of it, right? Like, that's the kind of ministry I want if I can get kicks for $3,700. Like, I'm thinking about starting my own Instagram account, Preachers and Plaid's. Uh, and it's just not gonna be as popular, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, but, but I think this is what's happening in, in Corinth. Like I think in Corinth, they want, they want to know that their guy is great. They wanna be able to boast in Paul. I I follow Paul. And, 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 and they want to know that he is notarized by, by the finances that they give him. But Paul will have none of that. He will not accept payment. Um, And what this has done, I think, has made some of the Christians in Corinth question whether or not he was legit. Because he was refusing payment, he wasn't taking the glory that they were trying to bestow upon him, which they had been modeled to uh, by by this kind of semi-worship of the sophists. They're wondering, I'm thinking at this point, is this guy the real deal? Like, is this guy the real deal? Is he legit? And Paul is going to answer that question in our text today. So this is, a, this is a strange text. Follow with me on this one, okay? You've got to stay with me. And I think there's payoff in the end on this text, but let's work through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Here's Paul. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are, you not my, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So the first two verses of this chapter, Paul, uh, he begins with a series of rhetorical questions right? Those are, he's just kind of asking these questions that obviously he, he knows the answer to. He's not trying to figure out the answer to them, but his point is that he is indeed worthy of their respect. That's what he's trying to say, that even though he's not going about this whole preaching, teaching thing in, in the same way as others are, he indeed is apostle. He is an apostle. He is worthy of their respect. He asks, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Like, those are the questions he's asking. And, and you see, there's some debate at this time about whether Paul is legitimate as an apostle. Because at Paul, he didn't fit the same kind of pedigree that the other apostles fit in. He didn't do the exact same thing. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus around in the gospels. The apostle Paul was different, right? Uh, But his answer is, hey, I am an apostle. I am an apostle. I'm free. I'm an apostle. And then he asks, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? You see, one of the qualifications to be an apostle was that you had to have witnessed Jesus. You You had to have seen the physical Jesus. You need to be a witness of Jesus. And Paul's like, hey, I saw him. I saw him, I encountered him, and he's referring to his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He's like, I saw the risen Christ. He knocked me off my horse. He blinded me. He jacked up my whole life. He called me into this suffering ministry. This is also, by the way, this one's for free, why we personally don't believe that there are modern apostles Like there are some traditions in the faith that believe that there are apostles today. Uh, And we would say that might be problematic language because uh, you need to have seen the physical Jesus. And uh, I don't know how old you are, but I haven't. You know, like that's, I've seen the spirit, but I've not seen Jesus, okay? And so uh, we would say that there are apostolic giftings that people have, that you might have some giftings similar to uh, an apostle, but you are not uh, an apostle in the same way that Paul is an apostle. Uh, Some people might have apostolic giftings, uh, but like pastors are not apostles. That's just not how it plays out. I preach the word. Paul, Peter, and James wrote the word. There's a difference there. There's a big difference there. So, so Paul opens up with this clear statement. He's like, I'm an apostle. I am the real deal. You don't need to doubt that. But then he turns to this defense of his apostleship by arguing that he actually deserves to be paid. So he, that's what he's going to get into now. He's going to say, I actually deserve to be paid for my work as an apostle. And so we're going to work through this whole, these next few verses talking about paying ministers. And, and let's just say this from the outset before we even dig into the text. This is awkward. Like a paid pastor talking to the people who pay him about why they should pay him. Right, this is weird. This is weird. Okay, let's just embrace the awkward together, okay? Uh, but, but, but let me say this before we dig in here. While Paul makes valid points about paying people in ministry, um, this is not his main point. It's something that he's using to illustrate what his main point will be. We will get to his main point, but he does lay out valid reasons to pay people in ministry. So here we go. Let's just live into the awkward together. 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 3 through 6. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? He's referring now to last week where they were talking about food sacrifice to idols. He says, do we not have the right to eat or drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So Paul is addressing the fact that the other apostles, um, they not only travel around and get paid for their ministry, um, but they are even bringing wives along with them. they have wives who accompany them on these 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 kind of traveling ministry opportunities and those wives don't have to work. They are covered also by the amount of money that they are being paid for this. So they're taking care of enough to not only support themselves but even support for support their families. This is also why it, it's kind of crazy to consider that that pastors or priests in certain traditions uh, are, are not allowed to have wives. Like even if you may maybe, uh, like me, you come from like a Roman Catholic background where they say that priests should not have wives. Uh, well, the first Pope right there, Peter had a wife. Paul just said that. So it kind of debunks that myth a little bit. Now, we don't have time to go into that, but I just wanted to put that out there. It's good that I am married to Marcy. Love you, babe. Okay, um, verse seven. Now here's where he begins to use illustrations to try and firm up his point that it's okay to pay ministers. Look at verse seven. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He uses three real world examples, soldiers, farmers, and shepherds, and essentially says, it would be crazy for you to think that a soldier would have to buy his own ammunition. Like, oh, you want to kill some bad guys? Go buy your own bullets. Now, those are provided for you if you're going to put your life on the line, okay? It would be crazy for a farmer not, not to be allowed to go and eat some of his own crop. It'd be like a corn farmer having to run to King Supers to pick up corn. Just what? You've got corn in your backyard. Just go get some corn, right? That's what he's saying, Shepherds can drink the milk from the goats that they tend. This is what he is saying. Paul's first three illustrations are from obvious human precedents. Uh, and he's saying, listen, why not us? Why wouldn't ministers be able to be taken care of financially from the work? that they are doing. But then, so he takes these real world examples right there. He then turns immediately to divine commandments. So he he actually says, hey, don't just take my word for it or these illustrations. What about God's word? Well, look at verse eight. Do I say these things on human authority? He says, does not the law, the Old Testament say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. And now he quotes Deuteronomy from the law. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So Paul doesn't just rely on this kind of conventional wisdom of his day and experiences that people would have shared in his audience. He also says, "Hey, God's word actually makes provision for us to be provided for." Right, He made provision for oxen. What he's talking about is when they would have an oxen doing some work, he, they, they would sometimes muzzle that ox so that it does not eat some of the grain that it's treading. And he said, the Old Testament forbade that. We wanted to be gracious to our animals, so we let them munch along as they're working. How much more for, for us, God's servants, for God's children? If God provided for them, don't you think he would have provided for us? So he's giving these pragmatic illustrations, these scriptural backgrounds, and then he moves on to another common sense argument. So verse 11, verse 11 says this, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And it is essentially just saying, hey, listen, we've done the work. We've sown the spiritual seed and and is it too much to ask that we would actually be able to care for ourselves and our families to reap material seed? It's only common sense that, that ministers get compensated for their work. And stay with me, I know this is the very last part here, verses 13 and 14. He says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is just like on fire here, laying out verse after verse after verse, pointing out that, hey, even the Old Testament priests, they were fed with some of the offering. Like the meat we talked about that was being offered last week, uh, not to these, to these pagan gods, but to in the Jewish temple, some of that meat went to feed the priests and the Levites, they were actually compensated for their ministry by by meat that was sacrificed to God. And, and, and he's even quotes, uh, we think he quotes Jesus when he says the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So he's, he's just kind of laying this huge foundation. Paul is laying out this case that Christian workers, okay, pastors, ministers, preachers, teachers, like those who vocationally do ministry as their job, they deserve to make a living from that vocation. Now, uh, we know from other parts of the, Old, of the New Testament that Paul actually did receive pay from some other churches. Like we actually know that he did receive finances from other churches, but Paul does not take a paycheck from the, this church in Corinth. And the question is why? We'll get into that why in just a minute. Like Paul, well, it's actually his main point is why he will not take uh, the, the, the offering of the first Corinthian church. But uh, let, let me just stop for a second and let's talk about a bit of application uh, because uh, I feel like we, we, we need to talk about paying ministry workers a little bit. And again, this is awkward, okay? This is just, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Congress voting on their own pay, so kind of like, what? This is weird. Like, that's kind of how I feel today. It feels kind of self-serving to talk about this. But, but hear me, we are committed to preaching through all of God's word. Um, and this is here. And it's not only here, it's actually littered throughout the entire Bible. Jesus even talks about that workers are worth their wage in talking about ministry uh, workers. So how do we apply this? Uh, How do we apply this passage to ourselves, to our church? here's, Here's what I would say. This passage teaches that Christians in churches are to support the vocational workers who serve those ministries. That's, that's I think, the clearest way to put that what he is teaching. So, so this is a part of what we say every single week, what I say every single week from here when we talk about responses, when we talk about giving of our tithes and offerings, that when you give your first and your best to your church, part of that goes to pay me. Part of that goes to pay Amanda and Kyle and Whisper. Like part of that tithe, that offering goes to allow for us to, pay for our families and support ourselves. Like we sow spiritual things among you and we reap material things from you. And, and we, I think I speak for the whole staff. We thank you for this. Like, thank you that, that we get to do, this is a privilege. This is an honor for us. It's a calling. We are excited to serve this church and we are thankful that we are able to do so and be paid to do that. And honestly, this is also why I say every single week that if you are a guest, you're not supposed to give. Like if you, if this this is the responsibility of the church. Paying me is the responsibility of those who call Fathom Church their home. It is not the responsibility of others. It's our responsibility to care for our ministers. Heck, it's my responsibility. It is my, Marcy and I, we have committed to give no less than our first 10% to Fathom every single month. That means that my tithe goes to pay me. That's weird, right? That's a strange thing, but we feel compelled to this. We do, we feel compelled to do this. And there are uh, lots of churches who, who uh, they, they've philosophical reasons that they do not pay uh, their workers, their pastors. And, and, and listen, that's fine, that's their right. They can agree to that philosophical mode, um, but let's just not pretend that there's a clear, a clear place in the Bible where it's like, don't pay your pastors. Okay, clearly, the Bible teaches that ministry workers can and ought to be paid. Um, so it, let, let me illustrate a little bit because in the introduction uh, to this sermon, I talked about kind of this problematic prosperity theology where you just get ritzy and you get glamor and you get attractive and you and it's all about like the, the, the vibe the pastor puts out and making sure that he's looking the part and feeling really good about it, this lavish lifestyle. But the pendulum often can swing, I think, in churches to what we call poverty theology. Prosperity theology on one side, poverty theology on the other side, where where essentially pastors just kind of barely scrape by in their ministry. And often it's been justified like this. Well, we just wanna make sure that the pastor stays humble. Want we'll to make sure he stays humble and just like give him a little bit of money. And, and because this is God's money, we gotta be good stewards. And so we don't want him to get too comfortable. So just like, be careful with this. Like one of the first churches I worked at, um, actually kind of practiced this at some level. Um, I was single. Uh, I proposed to Marcy, we were about to get married and uh, my $18,000 a year full-time salary just w- wasn't gonna cut it. Like I didn't want a lot. I just wanted to, to be able to afford like two Chipotle burritos instead of one, right? Like that's, that, was, that was what I was going for. Um, but when I went to my supervisor and asked for a raise, uh, th- th- this is what they said. They said, hey, that's what the job pays, we don't change pay based on change of life circumstances. And frankly, we can find another young guy to do youth ministry here. Um, which they did when I quit. Uh, that's because I could not afford to support my family on that. And it's sad, but I hear this all the time from, from guys and gals who, who move out of ministry because simply they just couldn't find a job that paid their bills. I mean, that's a shame, That is not how we want to do things here at Fathom. Let it never be so with our church. Uh, We will never want to move to prosperity, but goodness gracious, let us not move to the opposite side and poverty. So yes, it is good and right to pay our pastors. But now to the question, why does Paul and the circumstances with the Corinthian church, why does he not allow them to pay him? He answers this in verse 15. This is what he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. He's speaking about the right to be paid. He says, I have made no use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying here, hey, this isn't some backhanded plea for you to pay me. He's like, I'm not just bringing this up so that you will pay me better or pay me more. He says, I have laid my right down. I have laid this thing down. I would rather die. Like I didn't preach to you so that I could get paid. I did it because I was compelled by by the Lord to do it. I would rather die than not preach the gospel to you. Now, I can't say that I have like a one-to-one illustration uh, from my life on this because I get paid. And Paul's like, I didn't, don't need it laying it down. And I'm, I don't think that's what he's saying for all pastors. So let me just share a little bit from my own journey because I think it might line up a little bit and help us. Um, before we started this church five years ago, before we planted Fathom, uh, I was working at another church in town where we had been for almost seven years Uh, as a family, Marcy and I, and uh, we had strong community and we had a steady paycheck and we liked the ministry that we were doing. And like, it was, it was a pretty comfortable place to be. We, we know many of you from there. uh, But, uh, but we started to feel like this compulsion in our hearts that it might be time to go and plant our own church, like start a new church. And, and, and goodness, it was the wrong time in our lives to do any of this right because we had this steady paycheck and we had just bought a house and it's like the worst thing you can do when you've just incurred the you know most extravagant monthly payment of your entire world to just say you know what I don't need is a paycheck anymore you know that was just it was unwise in some ways we we were trying to get pregnant and so like my I might be able to afford two burritos but can I afford two burritos and some milk like oh no like what are we going to do um, I hadn't even finished seminary when we started the church. Like I still had a few classes to finish up. So I didn't even have like the accolade that said, Chris could be a pastor. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. Um, so it really wasn't like a good time to step away from uh, and, and risk our, really our finances on a new endeavor like this. But but the input that we received from, uh, from friends and wise counsel and the confirmations that we kind of felt from the spirit in our hearts, uh, were, were that we needed to leave and we needed to plant, start a new church. And, and so we did, right? We started with just a few families and it, we met in my in-law's living room. Like we had no money, we had no support, we had nothing. I mean, legitimately, we just met in a living room and we were like, maybe this is a church. I don't know, like what, what, what does this even mean? And I asked, uh, I had a couple of guys who were elder candidates who essentially just kind of came with me and said, hey, will you help me make decisions so that I'm not the only guy making decisions out there? And so I asked these first elder candidates about, like, should I get a second job? Like Marcy and I were like, D- do I need to find like, uh, you know, Paul was a tent maker alongside of being a pastor. Do I need to be like a tent maker? I don't want to make a tent. I don't want to make anything. Like I'd maybe be a barista. That's about it. Um, and so I was like, I-, I went to the elders. I said, should I get a second job? And um, you know, just to try and bridge the gap until, Lord willing, the church could afford to pay me. Um, and they said, hey, here's what we want you to do. We want you to try to fundraise enough money for my family to pay its bills and for my church to survive for six months. So raise that much money. Like, what's the bare minimum that you need? Let's, let's try and find that. And if, you, and if you raise that, then we'll pay you for those six months and then we'll just see what happens, which was a real reassuring you know, safety blanket. Oh, six months. Thank you. Right. That was uh, the plan. So, so that's what we did. Like we were, we were all in. We were just like, okay, here we go. So I, I raised the money, and uh, from some of you actually, I think. Um, but, but we raised the money, and between the little bit that the church could pay us. And then living off what we had accumulated in our savings account uh, in our first, you know, 10 years of marriage, uh, we somehow managed to survive. Like Harper was born, we had our house payment, we had a new baby, and we were like, we were, we were just slowly um, kind of whittling away at our savings account, getting paid a little bit from the church. And somehow for the first two years of the church, uh, we, we survived Uh, nothing lavish. Okay. There was no excess. We trimmed all the fat that we could and, and then some. Uh, And so honestly, we just barely kind of scraped by those first two years, but slowly our savings depleted. Like it just like our, our bills were more than we were getting paid. And so slowly that savings account depleted. And about two years into the church, Marcy and I got hit with a bill that we weren't expecting. And all of a sudden we saw our account go to zero. Like, I remember it very clearly the day where I, we got the bill in the mail and, Marcy, and I, Marcy was literally like, hey, you know what? You need to go talk to the guys. She meant the elders. You need to go talk to those guys uh, because we can't do this anymore. And I was like, yeah, but that's weird. Like, it's awkward to go to your friends and ask them for money, right? Like, I don't want to do that. And, and she's like, well, we can't. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I, uh, I met with the elders and I said, guys, this is awkward. But... I need a raise. Like, I just need, I need a raise. The church, it's grown and it's stabilizing, but I just, I can't keep doing this. I can't go on financially like this. We're we're running out and the and the guys were so kind and they were gracious. I never had to ask for a raise after I got, you know, from that first church where they were like, we don't give raises, you know? So uh, it was a, a nerve wracking thing, but, but the guys lovingly and graciously gave us a raise and, and like, and, and it was good. We were able to now kind of pay our bills. And again, we're not lavish here, but we're taken care of. So, so again, thank you to the church for that. Um, but here's why I tell you that story. Um, Marcy and I felt the compulsion to plant the church and it overshadowed the right we had to a good salary or to a comfortable community or, or whatever. Like we, we felt this compulsion that like, God wants us to start a church and even though it's not the right time, we gotta do this. We gotta be obedient to God. And as things have progressed, we've been cared for well. And frankly, uh, I talked with some of the elders this week. Our, our hope is that, um, that with future staff here at Fathom, that we would never get to the place where, we, where, where like a staff member has to leave us because they can't afford to work here because we pay them too little. Like we want to find the middle ground between prosperity and poverty. Somewhere in the middle there is, is where we think there's this biblical way to pay staff. So I know that's a long story. I know that's a long application to a kind of an uncomfortable part of the text, but that's, that's where we've landed as a church. We want to financially support those who are on staff in a way that, they, um, that they're taken care of. Well, listen, I'm not gonna buzz up in a, in a brand new Beamer anytime soon. If you ever see me and hear boop, boop by me, like it's not me, all right? That's me, I'm, that's somebody like seeing me watch by and they're like, that dude's sketchy and they're hitting their fob trying to get me away from their car, okay? That's what's happening, so- Okay, let's finish our text. We haven't even gotten to Paul's main point here. He's about to make it. Verse 16 through 18, let's finish it up. For if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Here's what I'm summing up the whole 18 verse section like this. Paul is saying this, you Corinthians think that this life is about eating and drinking and prestige and power and fame and fortune and having it all put together, but it's not. Yeah, you're free to to pursue all of those things, but that's not what being a Christian is about. The Christian life is not about flaunting our freedoms. The Christian life is rather about self-sacrifice, sacrificing our rights, our freedoms, even though they are due us. I think this is Paul's main point. Uh, He uses his own illustration of being free uh, to get paid for his work and then laying down that freedom to illustrate and to teach us about self-sacrifice. Here's the point. We are free to sacrifice. Paul is saying, I will lay down my freedom. I will sacrifice my freedom, my rights for edification of the church, for love of my brother And my sister, I am free to sacrifice my freedoms. This is the same stuff we talked about last week. You know why? Because it's one long letter. He's just building on the same argument. But last week we talked about eating and drinking and and education and politics and masks and all of that stuff. And and as Christians, you're free to, to believe what you want on most of those things. They're open-handed issues. They're non-essential, non-essential issues. But our, our greatest freedom as a Christian is to lay down our freedoms, is to self-sacrifice for one another. So the, the, this is what I would say. The Christian life is lived in self-sacrificing love. That's what Paul is trying to show us in this text. And I want to close our, our sermon time like this. In the New Testament, as you read through the New Testament, it is replete with what we call uh, these commands. Uh, we call them the one another commands, the one another commands. Uh, in fact, I, I, I looked it up 59 times, 59 times in the New Testament. Uh, we are commanded to this this putting self-sacrificing love on display for one another. And this is what I wanted to do as we close our sermon. I just want to kind of read some of those over us. I'm not gonna read all 59, that'd take too long, but, but uh, I wanna read these, these instructions on how to self-sacrificially love one another. So I'm just gonna, you just hear them and listen to them and let them kind of wash over you. But this is, you'll see very quickly that there's a pattern in the New Testament that is full of, you better put one another So let me read these for us. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another in love. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Uh, Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Christian, you are free in Christ. Free to love one another. Free for one another. Free to lay down your rights. Free to show self-sacrificing love. May that be so amongst us and all the more as we progress in this journey with Jesus. Let me pray for our time. Father, we are thankful for what's a, a bizarre text. Frankly, Lord, this has been a hard one for me to preach because it's just, it's been difficult. It's been, how do I, how do, I do this and not feel like I'm really putting myself first? And, and so God, I am thankful for words like this, hard words like this, and the commitment to, to take them head on because I think we would miss the rich message here if we didn't dig into this, which is we are, we are to be for one another that we are to lay down our lives, that we are to show self-sacrifice, that we are to be differential in our love for each other. Help us, Lord, to, to grow in this. Help me to grow in this. I am selfish. I am focused on my own needs primarily, and I want to be willing to lay down, like, like your servant Paul, lay down everything for the sake of the gospel. That would be my hope that I would deepen like that. I would pray that for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, we do bless you. We love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this text. We pray that it changes us deeply. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit.